0: Good morning, morning. turn with me in the word of God to Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 4 through 9, Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 4 through 9, hear O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Hmm? It's a hallelujah. It's a hallelujah! Hallelujah! Yes. Uh, this passage is about a priceless heritage to which all of us are heirs, which has been entrusted to all of us, and it is about a means of passing on that heritage called catechesis, the act of catechizing. Catechesis is the disciplined, consistent inculcation of a way of understanding reality. And it will happen to you. You don't get a say in that. You will be catechized. Your children will be catechized. Again, you do not get a say in whether or not it happens. The world around you will communicate persuasively with you and with your family. And it will be done extremely well by somebody. YouTube will do it. Twitter will do it. Facebook will do it. Instagram will do it. TikTok will do it. The government education system will do it. The news media will do it. Advertising will do it. Your friends will do it. Your coworkers will do it. Your family will do it. Maybe you should do it. In our text, God commands you, specifically you fathers and husbands. In our text, our our God commands you to do that. I can help. But this is your job. It is assigned to you. It is assigned to you by God himself. He has given you a church that is committed to assisting families in this area. My main function in this church is to provide this assistance. But it is just that. Assistance. This is your task. I guarantee you that in fulfilling this task, you will be swimming upstream. And I mean hard upstream. I mean being a salmon. Theological catechesis is extremely unpopular. We're told all kinds of things about why catechisms are bad. Here here are some of the accusations that are lodged against catechisms. First of all, we're told that catechisms reduce spiritual things to empty rote learning. I'm reminded of an incident about 20 years ago when I was in another church in another state, and I was about to embark on expounding the Heidelberg Catechism. And I went to a man in the church that I deeply respected, and I told him what I was going to be doing, And I asked him to come. This man was at that time a 30-year fireman. Which means he had spent at least 30 years and probably more studying very hard the procedures of fighting fires. He had spent at least 30 years studying the procedures that the fire department uses in various kinds of responses. He'd spent at least 30 years studying the physics of combustible materials. What's more, he had two children that I knew about, and he had spent a quarter of a million dollars putting them through college. A quarter of a million dollars so they could earn their daily bread. So I was very surprised when he said to me, "I'm not going to come to that. I don't like anything academic." <laughs> every aspect of life has a body of knowledge that has to be learned by rote. I'm going to wager here, but go on a limb that every single person in this room, with maybe a couple of small exceptions, knows the alphabet. You know your numbers. You know arithmetic. You know your colors. And while there are a few farmers in this room, you know your animals. You know, I don't know, basic structures of existence. Most of you have spent the equivalent of the price of a house on the education that allows you to earn your daily bread. At a minimum, you've got some kind of professional license that allows you into the guild of your particular job my own life insurance license exam was every bit as hard as advanced Hebrew in seminary. And that doesn't include continuing education. That doesn't include the, the, the exams I have to submit to on an ongoing basis. Indeed, your very identity requires you to memorize a formidable array of data and numbers, social security number, phone number, address, it goes on and on and on just to know who you are. It's impossible to function in life without rote learning, without memorizing vast quantities of data. And I guess that's not all bad because rote learning is good for the mind. It's kind of what it was built for. The more things we learn from memory, the more things we can learn from memory. Further, when you memorize things like the Westminster Shorter Catechism, you find that exposure to the truth of God actually improves your conceptual abilities. If you're a rank-stinking atheist and you memorize the Westminster, from that you get the ability to conceptualize ideas better, even if you don't believe it. Just the exercise improves your brain. Shouldn't come as any surprise that uh, a steady diet of God's truth stored in the heart and the mind would actually improve intelligence and rational ability. That shouldn't really surprise us. Rote learning of scriptural truth is good for the soul. Psalm 119, which I'll refer to several times this morning, is going to be very firm in that conviction verse 11, your word have I hidden in my heart. Not have I nailed to my wall, although it tells you to do that too. Your word have I hidden in my heart. Why? That I may not sin against you. Another thing that we hear that's bad about catechisms is that they add to the scriptures. Okay, rote learning is supposed to be bad because it kills your soul. And Catechisms are bad because they add to the scriptures. No, they don't add to the scriptures. They preserve the scriptures. A catechism is not an addition to scripture. It's a short summary of scripture truth. It's organized topically into questions and answers. To the degree that a catechism is faithful to its source, it's nothing more than a restatement of God's truth, not an authoritative addition I say again, not an authoritative addition to it. In that way, catechesis is a form of preaching. It's summarizing and inculcating the truth of God into the minds and hearts of believers. It no more adds to Scripture than Brian does when he gets up here and does what I'm doing right now. Another allegation that I've heard brought against catechisms is that they're boring. Okay, tell me that in a month. So, what is catechizing? Well, catechizing is the use of a question and answer method to pass on a body of knowledge, it's the basics, the foundation of any kind of learning. It's a treasure chest where we hide the priceless heritage of our faith to preserve it for ourselves and for our children. We have something infinitely valuable. We want it it to enrich us. We want to enrich our children with it. So we put it in a little box called the Westminster Shorter Catechism or, as we just finished in my class on Sunday mornings, the Heidelberg Catechism. And we cherish it. And we memorize it. And we meditate on it. And we're not doing anything that doesn't have a firm foundation in Scripture itself. We are commanded to catechize. That's why I chose my text. In case you had not figured it out, this sermon is a commercial for my Sunday school class. That's what this is. And I am transmitting to you a command that God has given to each one of you in our text. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Where? In your heart. We think of memorizing as cramming things into our head. But we're not just memorizing, we're learning by heart. These things will be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the day, when you lie down, and when you rise up. The bulk of your daily conversation, according to our text, is the things of God. This is where we live. The truth of God is to be the most important content of our hearts. Something that we're meditating on and talking about and thinking about all the time. The truth of God is to be the most important heritage, the priceless heritage that we pass on to our children. I inherited from my father not a Mercedes, not a gigantic bank account, Not a a towering mansion. I inherited from my father the priceless heritage of the Reformed faith. And there is nothing, not a kingdom, not a continent that he could have given me that would have been any more valuable than that. But notice the commands of conversation. The truth of God is to be the total environment in which we are to live. Quite literally, the air we breathe. I heard it once said about a a man I greatly respected. When you cut him, he bleeds scripture. I would love to have that said about me. I would love to have that more said about my children. When you cut him, he bleeds scripture. Actually, the... The passage in Deuteronomy is not the first time we have catechesis in Scripture. Exodus 12, the Passover, gives us another catechism. Exodus 12:26, And it shall be, when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service, the Passover feast? That you shall say, It is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt, when he struck the Egyptians and devoured their households, and delivered our households. So the people bowed their heads, and they worship. You've got a one-question-and-answer catechism. A mini-catechism. The much shorter catechism. And in this brief question-and-answer, the children seek to understand the worship of the God of their fathers. They ask the question. And he's proclaimed to them in terms of the history of his dealings with them. Indeed, this catechism, this little brief catechism, one-question-and-answer, Passes on an identity. As the great catechist Walt Disney said, Remember who you are. (laughs) There was a time when I could have done that pretty effectively. (laughs) It passes on an identity. This is who you are. You are the people that God rescued from the hand of the Egyptians by the great deliverances of the plagues and the Red Sea. That's who you are. And if you know that the core of your identity is one who is delivered against mighty enemies, one who is brought through, though the parting of a sea is required, where is anxiety in your life? What place fear for you? i am a part of a people with whom god has a covenant of deliverance and with whom god has a living vibrant face-to-face fellowship that's who i am that's what i learned from my catechism here's another one psalm 119 how can a young man keep his way pure By taking heed according to your word. Psalm 119, as every one of you knows, is the longest chapter in Scripture, and it ain't close. What you might not know is that Psalm 119 was written for the nursery school, it wasn't written for children, it was written for small children. How do we know that? Because it was written in order of the alphabet. You have 22 letters. There are 22 letters in Hebrew. And each one of those letters gets eight lines. 176 verses. And that alphabetic acrostic is the way Psalm 119 is organized. So that a little child, a little child, not a child, a little child can easily memorize it. And the whole thing is a love song song to the Word of God. Specifically to the Pentateuch. Although we can read it as a love song to the whole Bible. But as written it's a love song to the first five books of Moses. It's a love song to things like, oh I don't know, Leviticus. It is that kind of word that David is is expressing passion for. It's intended to build a love. Not just a knowledge. A loving knowledge of God's Word, of God's law, of God's character. That's what it's for. It's a love letter that stirs us up to love God's Word, God's law, and God's character. To meditate on these things, to internalize these things, again, to learn them by heart. There's more, Psalm 137, hundreds of years later, the psalmist is In deep, deep grief of exile, he's lost his home. He's lost all of the reminders of God, all of the reminders of God's worship. They're all gone. He's in a foreign land under the boot of an oppressor. And he cries out, if I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill." If I do not remember you, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I do not exalt Jerusalem above my highest joy. The psalmist promises to remember the acts and the character of God, and he calls down curses on himself if he should forget or if he should prioritize anything else above meditating on who God is and what God has done and what God has promised. He makes God a higher priority than making a living, or eating, or drinking. That's one of the reasons we fast, to put God above food in our worship. This is not just an Old Testament phenomenon. In Luke 11, verses 1 and 2, now it came to pass, as Jesus was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, When you pray, say, and what did he do? He gave them the Lord's Prayer. Now, this is a pretty typical dialogue between Jesus and his disciples. Note the disciples are seeking truth and instruction here. Being in the presence of Jesus makes them hungry to learn his ways. So they ask him about the most intimate communication possible. The closest communion with God. The art of prayer itself. The dialogue of prayer between God and man. And what does Jesus do? He gives them something to memorize. He gives them something to learn by rote. When you pray, say. Now there are other places where where somebody might say, when you pray, say something like this. Or when you're in this situation, do something like this. And you're given an approximate principle that's applicable across a wide range of contexts, but can be fit to differences in those contexts. But when Jesus teaches us how to pray, he gives us a very precise formula and says, say these words. It's a catechism. It's a catechetical exercise that gives us the Lord's Prayer. Don't tell me catechesis doesn't create intimacy with God. Don't tell me that. It is not so. Now, catechism comes to us across several thousand years of history, having come out of the Scripture. It's something we've been doing for a long time. Uh, During the first 500 years of church history, there was an office in the church, a position that everybody who wanted the church held. It was called the catechumen. Catechumen is an interesting idea. For most of the first 500 years of church history, being a Christian could get you killed. It was a very high-risk occupation. And catechumens were people who were risking death to associate with the Christian church. This got a little later in the last 200 years, but still, this was serious a catechumen is applying to join the church. And they would meet with a catechist every single day for at least an hour, usually more, for three years. Wrap your mind around this. This is not seminary training. This is not elder training. This was to become a member of the church. Today, to become a member of Grace Presbyterian Church, you need roughly two hours of training. The ancient church required more than 1,100. And that's where we get our word for catechism. They took it seriously. You know, I've had my door knocked on by some interesting people who wear the name of Christ but are outside of of historic Christianity. You know what they all have in common? They know their stuff. The Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses that have knocked on on my door, they're better trained than most of you. They know their heresies better than you know the truth. And they've worked on that. And you know what? Those denominations grow. Built on nonsense, they grow. Because it's well-catechized nonsense. And they're a rebuke to us. They're a strong rebuke to us. Why should the pagans, with well-catechized nonsense, I leave over what you're going to get on the internet. Forget that. Why should well-catechized nonsense triumph over well-catechized truth? Now, That was the catechumen in the first few centuries. They lost that, and you got the Middle Ages. You lost the truth. It wasn't until the Reformation that catechesis was rediscovered. Again, in the Reformation countries, in every single country where the Reformation went, there was extreme persecution. People were being tied to poles and lit. They, were, they used burning at the stake to replace being eaten by lions. I'm not, I'm not sure that's a trade-up. Extreme persecution. But in the, the reason there was extreme persecution is that Satan had to do something about the fact that biblical truth was being rediscovered. And when biblical truth was being rediscovered, the people who rediscovered biblical truth did two things. One, they preached like crazy. Go look at a, at a uh, complete setting, a, a complete edition of Martin Luther's works. 56 volumes, if I remember correctly. Almost all of the serpents. They preached like crazy, and they wrote catechisms like crazy. Everybody, every country pastor wrote a catechism. Luther wrote two. The most famous catechism of the 16th century is the one we finished working on this morning, the Heidelberg Catechism, written by a 28 and a 26 year old man. That hurts. I'm sorry. That hurts. I sit there and I study that thing and I prepare to teach that thing and I go over the precise and beautiful answers. And this guy was a year younger than my youngest daughter. It's insane. But that was everywhere. The ones we're studying are just the ones that survived. Everybody's brother wrote a catechism. They were all over the place. And catechesis spread the truths of the Reformation across Europe and all the way to the Americas in less than a generation. The speed was amazing given the fact that the printing press was a brand new toy and there were no televisions, radios, or other mass media. It was amazing. And the Catechism held the church strong against persecuting forces. It preserved God's truth for yet another century. And it was the foundation on which an entirely new civilization was built on both sides of the Atlantic. Nowhere was that more true than in the English-speaking world, the heirs of the Westminster. The 17th century, again, this is where where the Westminster Standards were written. Persecution in full force. The authors of the document were at war. There was an actual civil war in progress against a king who wanted these truths destroyed at any cost. The assembly that produced the Westminster Shorter Catechism also produced several other documents. The larger catechism, the Confession of Faith, the Directory for Public Worship. Most of these were written for professional academic theologians, not the Shorter Catechism. On the inside cover of the Shorter Catechism, you will find the following words. For catechizing those who are of a weaker capacity. (laughs) I mean, they said it in writing. Just in case you missed it, this is the easy one. When I was a little boy, growing up in this room, every six-year-old, not just me, every six-year-old, learned the Shorter Catechism every four-year-old learned the catechism for young children. It wasn't special. It was normal. And it wasn't here. Everybody was doing it. And that's been lost. But think about it. An assembly of over 180 of the greatest theological minds who have ever lived took the time to write a summary of Scripture Geared to children. They took that time. They were thinking generationally. Are you? They were thinking children's 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 children. We're thinking Friday. This catechism, the shorter catechism that we're going to begin studying next Sunday, was in the heart's and minds of the founders of America, including the ones who did not believe the Westminster doctrines. Even the ones who didn't believe. The Westminster theology was everywhere, and believers and unbelievers alike were well aware of it, and it informed the consensus of the entire nation. Even the Enlightenment thinkers who, had, who wanted nothing to do with it, they understood this is part of our, the, our, of our cultural consensus and they injected it into the structures of our government. It was one of the founding documents, one of the foundation stones of our country. It's rapidly being forgotten. Look around you. Is that a step up? When we trade the Westminster standards for how we happen to be feeling on a given day, are we trading up? I want to end this morning by talking about catechism here at Grace. The elders of this church are committed to passing this priceless heritage of the Reformed faith to a thousand generations. We're not trying to get through the day. We're not trying to get through the day. We're looking down the corridors of history to our grandsons, grandsons, grandsons. And we see ourselves, we see you as an irremovable part of that legacy and of its transmission. All of Brian's preaching is aimed at this one end. All of our sessional actions are in pursuit of this one end. All of my work as a Sunday school teacher is now almost exclusively dedicated to making sure that every member of this church has a sound and competent understanding of the system of doctrine taught in the scriptures. And also, and perhaps even more importantly, that every member of this church has a deep and joyful love of these priceless truths. I urge you to attend our classes on the Westminster Shore Catechism. As, you, as your elder, I am asking you to do this. And later, when I finish the Westminster, I'm going back to the Heidelberg. Be there at 9.15 every Sunday morning in the fellowship hall. Bring your children. Bring your friends. And on the other days of the week, remember, this is assistance. The job of catechism is yours, not mine. I'm helping. This is your job. On the other days of the week, gather your families around the scriptures and drink deep. Of the living water, use the catechisms to fortify your mind with clear, precise formulations of biblical truth. Rejoice in rich, God-glorifying truth. See your lives take new and glorious shape as the Holy Spirit breathes life into you from His sacred page. I return to where I began, in these words that I commend you today shall be on your heart you shall teach them diligently to your children you shall talk of them when you sit down you shall walk you shall talk of them when you walk by the way when you lie down and when you rise you shall bind them as a sign on your hand they shall be as frontlets between your eyes you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Lord our God, we ask you to draw us to obedience to these great commands. We ask you to make your truth precious in our eyes, to pull it down hard into our hearts. We ask you, Lord God, to glorify yourself among us by the revelation of yourself in the holy, infallible, unique scriptures. Give us a soul-transforming understanding that you are the one who delivers us, that you are the one who congregates us, that you are the one who has woven us into your one body to partake of your love forever. In Jesus' name, amen.